Hello, I'm Pastor Mike Agnew with St. Paul's United Methodist Church in Cherokee, Iowa, and welcome to our sermon podcast. If you'd like to find out more about our church, you can get a lot of information by going to our website at www.cherokeemethodist.com. Now, today we are continuing our look at death and life after death from a Christian perspective. We started last week by exploring reasons why we fear death, and we zeroed in on one particular one, which is the fear of judgment uh, based on sin, which Paul calls the sting of death. But we talked about how that has been overcome through Jesus Christ. Now, today we're going to take a look at another reason why we fear death, and that is fear of the unknown. I mean, what really happens after we die? Do we go to heaven? Do we sleep? If we go to heaven, do we meet loved ones? What is heaven like? What do we do there? Do we eat? Do we sleep? Do we, what, what do we do? What, what does life look like after death? I mean, we have so many questions. We could ask so many more than what I just listed there. But, you know, we're not going to be able to answer all these questions, but hopefully we can address some of them. So as we think about life after death, and when we think about what Jews and Christians have believed about the subject, the more I look at the Bible and the more I study the Bible, the more complicated I see that the Bible is. When it comes to life after death, there has never been one standard belief at any time in Jewish or Christian history on what happens after we die. We'll always find thoughts that differ. You see, believe it or not, the Bible is not always in agreement on what happens right after death. The answer basically depends on where you're reading in the book or what author you were reading because, you know, it's an anthology of 66 books written by different people in a time span of thousands of years. So not everybody is uniform on everything throughout the Bible. So this is actually quite common that when you're reading the Bible, you'll find many different voices and sometimes they don't believe the same things. So when we look at the subject of life after death in the Bible, we see that there's been a change of thought on it throughout history itself and even throughout the Bible. So for instance, when we go back to the early days, most Jews in the early Old Testament days did not believe in life after death the way we do. There are very few references to it in the Old Testament, and you will not find a single reference to heaven or hell in any verse of the Old Testament. So when they do mention life after death in the Old Testament, it's nothing like what we imagine. You know, in the book of Psalms, there's a psalm where the author states that the dead cannot do anything, including praising God. Psalm 30 verse 9 says, What is to be gained by my spilled blood, by my going down into the pit? Does dust thank you? Does it proclaim your thankfulness? Most Jews at that time believe that when you die, you return to the dust of the earth. And so you're in a place that they call in Hebrew Sheol, which is sometimes translated simply as the grave. This is the place where everybody goes, both righteous and unrighteous, and there's no real conscious existence. In Psalm 88, it says, Is your faithful love proclaimed in the grave? Your faithfulness in the underworld? Are your wonders known in the land of darkness? Your righteousness in the land of oblivion? So, you see, the ancient Hebrews, they had no idea of or no concept of an immortal soul that could live a full, vital life beyond death. 
nor did they have any idea such as the resurrection or return from death. Human beings, like the animals, are made of the dust of the earth, and at death they return to the dust. There is no soul per se, because they believe that we are our bodies, and our bodies are animated or brought to life by God's breath, but when that breath is taken away, we are no longer animated. So, you know, they, some Jews believed that there was literally no life after death. Others believed that there was in this place called Sheol, but you were a shade of your former self. You exist, but there's no pleasure, there's no joy, there's, there's, it's not really a meaningful conscious existence. And so this explains much of the problem about the fairness of life or lack thereof. Because in the Bible, it was commonly believed and taught that the righteous are rewarded in this life and the unrighteous are punished in this life in the Old Testament. And that's a theme that we see throughout the Old Testament. Um, you know, there, that's why there's no reference to heaven or hell, but everything has to be accomplished in this life. It also explains the problem for the author of Ecclesiastes. Boy, let me tell you, don't read Ecclesiastes if you want to be in an uplifted mood. You know, he's so upset and cynical about life. He says everything is meaningless. Why? Because good and bad, it doesn't matter. We all end up in the same place. We all end up in the grave. And for the author of Ecclesiastes, everything is meaningless because there is no afterlife where everything can be made right or justified. He, along with Job and some others in the Old Testament, offer a countervoice to the idea proclaimed in other parts of Scripture that state that the righteous are rewarded and the unrighteous are punished. In other words, that, that good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people. Their voices, like Job and the author of Ecclesiastes, who are saying, hey, wait a minute, that's not true. You see, they see the unfairness of life. And in Ecclesiastes, he doesn't say that God isn't real, but he says our lives are pretty much meaningless, and the best we can do is enjoy what we can out of life and obey God. He says life doesn't make sense. Obey God anyway. <laughs> Not very uplifting. Don't go to Ecclesiastes if you want to know what happens after death. Okay, it's just going to depress you. Now, Job, in the book of Job, Job is a story about a man who suffers incredibly and his friends come and they say that he must have done something to deserve this. So if he repents of his sin, then he will start being blessed again. Okay. Common thought in the day back then, it was that kind of teaching was championed in books like Deuteronomy. Uh, but, you know, Job is just having none of it. He says, I haven't done anything to deserve this. Usually when we think of his friends, we think they're so horrible for saying that he must have done something to deserve his misfortune. And yet, they weren't bad for saying this because they were just defending their faith and their scriptures. And their scriptures taught that. And Job is saying, I don't care. It's not right. It's not true. And all of this is to say that there is more than one voice in scripture. And when you read it, you can see both the prevailing religion and those who disagree debating with one another. Right? So, so this means we can't read the Bible as a flat book or an encyclopedia where each and every verse has the exact same weight as every other verse. It just doesn't work that way. Now, in the Old Testament, we do see some hints of an idea of life after death. Job holds out hope that after death he can confront God. King Saul conjures up the spirit of Samuel. And then in one of the latest writings of the Old Testament, the book of Daniel, 
you can tell that by the time Daniel is written, there's been a lot of evolution of thought on life after death. As he presents a scenario where people are resurrected and some are given punishment and some are given rewards. So they show us a change of thought as time went on. And it also shows us that it's just too simplistic to ask what all Jews believed about what, about life after death. They were not all of the same mind, and this is true for Christians as well. Now, prior to the rise of Christianity, in the time between the Old and New Testaments, there was a growing Jewish movement called the Pharisees. And they affirmed new ideas, such as the afterlife for believers, including a resurrection of the physical body. Part of such thinking was a logical conclusion that if God is just and a lot of injustice happens, then God needs the world to come to balance out the good. And, you know, if it doesn't happen in this life, it has to happen somewhere somehow. So it must happen in the afterlife. They were also influenced by Greek thought. Uh, the, the Greek culture had infiltrated their world, and so... Some of the ideas of the Greek culture, such as Hades and a separate place for the good and the, the righteous and the unrighteous, uh, were somewhat adopted by the Jewish people. And so, you know, the Pharisees believed in a lot of these new ideas. The Sadducees were another group of Jews who rejected these innovative new beliefs because they were not taught in the Torah, which the Torah is another word for law or the first five books of the Old Testament. So, you know, there, by the time we get into the New Testament, things sound a lot different. Of course, 400 years have passed since the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New, and there's been a lot of development of thought. So in the New Testament, we hear much more about life after death. Paul writes extensively about resurrection in 1 Corinthians 15 and the resurrection body. Revelation paints a picture of a new heaven and a new earth and the resurrection at the end of the age. Jesus speaks about this issue quite a bit. So does the idea that an evolution of thought on the afterlife in the Bible, does that idea bother you? It doesn't need to. As Christians, we believe that Jesus Christ is the fullest revelation of God and that the rest of Scripture should be interpreted in the light of Jesus Christ. So the idea that the Bible is not of the same mind on certain topics is something we simply must come to terms with. In other words, we must accept and read our Bible according to how it actually behaves, not according to how we wish it would behave or how we were told that it behaves, but how it actually behaves. So accepting it or rejecting it, the idea of progressive revelation where People learn more and more about the truth of God as time goes on. Helps explain a lot of things in the Bible, such as the treatment of women, the institution of slavery, and even the science of how the world works. So it's not a new idea that people learn things as time goes on, and hopefully the learning never stops. And I believe that this is, was true for the uh, belief in the afterlife as well. People continued to learn more as God revealed it to them. Now, it's impossible to go through all the New Testament teachings on life after death right now because it's so extensive. But basically, even in the New Testament, there are two basic thoughts on life after death, and that is sleep. You know, you're either asleep or you're with God. 
So some passages in the New Testament seem to describe or imply the idea that being a, you're asleep when you die until the resurrection when you're resurrected. First of all, they use sleep as a euphemism for death. There's got to be a reason for that. And then in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, it says that we who are alive and still around at the Lord's coming definitely won't go ahead of those who have died. This is because the Lord himself will come down from heaven with the signal of a shout by the head angel and a blast on God's trumpet. And first, those who are dead in Christ will rise. Then we who are living and still around will be taken up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Another verse, John chapter 5 says, Don't be surprised by this because the time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice. Those who did good things will come out into the resurrection of life and those who did wicked things into the resurrection of judgment. So if, you know, these scriptures seem to imply that they're sleeping or in their graves, because otherwise, if they were already with Jesus in heaven, why would he have to call them forth? Why would they have to rise up? Now, some passages seem to make it clear that the dead are alive in heaven and active. So 2 Corinthians 5 says, We are always confident because we know that while we are living in the body, we are away from the home with the Lord. We live by faith and not by sight. We are confident and we would prefer to leave the body and to be at home with the Lord. Then another one, Revelation 6 says, When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar those who had been slaughtered on account of the word of God and the witness they had given. They cried out with a loud voice, Holy and true, Master, how long will you wait before you pass judgment? How long before you require justice for our blood, which was shed by those who lived on earth? Each of them was given a white robe, and they were told to rest a little longer until their fellow servants and brothers and sisters, who were about to be killed as they were, were finished. So there we have a, a picture of those who've died for the faith in heaven with God. And, uh, you know, Paul talks in Second Corinthians about when we are away from the body, we are present with the Lord. So, you know, we... These are just samplings. There are more scriptures that seem to imply sleep. There are also more scriptures that seem to apply being with God, depending on how you read them. Uh, then we cannot dismiss other people who've had near-death experiences, people who've had visions of heaven, seen known relatives, seen Jesus. And there's a definite assumption there that upon death, the person is with God. So knowing that there's a debate, the task of the Christian is to decide how they are going to interpret the whole of Scripture. Interpretation is always a task of uncertainty, because if we're certain, there wouldn't be a need for interpretation. So what do I believe? Well, I believe and act upon the belief that when we die, we go to heaven to be with God. When I state that somebody who has died in a better place is in a better place, I mean it. The words that I read at funerals and gravesides, they're not meaningless. I believe what I'm saying is true. And you know what? To be devil's advocate for a moment. If I'm wrong and we sleep upon death until the resurrection at the end of the age, that doesn't bother me either. I mean, who doesn't like a good night's sleep uninterrupted? Who doesn't like sleeping in from time to time, right? If so, if someone is sleeping in the Lord, is that so bad? especially if they were suffering before? Aren't they still in a better place with God and without suffering? And then they rise at the end of the age, at the time when we're all together, so they no longer have to wait. 
Christians are not of the same mind on the matter of life after death, but I think you'll find that most of you will come across will be of the persuasion that upon death we are present with the Lord in a conscious way, and I believe that as well. The scriptures, the near-death experiences, experiences people have had of receiving messages or visits from their loved ones, and the broad part of the church tradition favors this belief that we are with God when we die. What we know for certain, though, is that after death there is only good for those who are in Christ Jesus because they are under God's direct care. I know we have so many questions about what happens after we die what life after death is like. We ask so many questions. And, you know, I can't help but think about a parent with their children. Children are very inquisitive. They're very curious. And so they ask all kinds of questions about this and that and everything. And sometimes they ask questions about things that they cannot possibly understand at their age. And so the parent finally has to say, you know what, you're just not going to understand this right now. You're going to have to trust me. And even though the kid probably would rather have an answer, They do hopefully trust their parents. They trust in their parents' goodness, their wisdom, and their knowledge, but above all in their love for them so that they know that their parents have their best interests at heart. And I think that when it comes to life after death, even though we know some, we need to leave the rest because they are questions we are not going to be able to answer or understand in this current time. And instead, what we need to do is we need to trust in our heavenly parent, God, Trust in his grace, trust in his knowledge, his wisdom, but ultimately trust in his love for you. And then we won't have to fear the unknown. Instead, we can trust the unknown to God, who loves us beyond measure and has promised to take care of us in life, in death, and in life beyond death. Amen. God bless and have a great week.